Let's dive into Romans chapter 5 as we look at the secure blessings. We really have blessings as a result of being declared right in God's eyes. And we've seen that it's by faith alone in Christ alone and through God's word alone. God's word reveals God's work that he did for us when he died on the cross for our sins. That we are not right. There's none of us that are right. And as we look at this good news of what he did, we realize that all of us are standing in the same place that we have a problem called sin and we don't meet God's standard. And that idea of being found right in God's eyes is not by works. No one can boast. No one can say, I did everything right because there's none of us that are right according to God's standards. But we learn that through the gospel, the good news that what Jesus did for us, that he has given us a gift in order to be declared right in his presence. And because of that, we have this secure standing in which we can stand and we can enjoy what God has given us. And there's things that are a result of this being declared right. And that's what we are seeing now where Paul is going to in Romans chapter 5. And today we get to see some real blessings and we get to look differently at trials and suffering. So let's pray and ask God to bless the time of his word. Lord, simply ask that as we read your word that it'll be about you and less about us. It won't be about what we think. It won't be about what's going on today or tomorrow or has gone uh, on in our life in the years past or what we think might happen in the years future. But just simply, Lord, what are you saying in this text? And Lord, I just pray that it would bring out the great implications of our life to say yes to you and enjoy you and to realize the blessings that we really securely have based on your work. Lord, may it fuel our life and really bless us. May we live differently than the world around us. And Lord, that our light would so shine that men would see it and that they would glorify you, our Father in heaven. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for your words this morning. And may it bring life to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 5, and going back for context in verse 1 of Romans 5, and then going down to uh, verse 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified or declared right by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and the hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is quite a statement of our position. I'm looking for this. There we go. And that is, as we looked at it last week, is all the secure blessings have been a direct result of our position. That because we've been justified or declared right in God's eyes, we have peace with God. And also, uh, not only that, but we've attained access 
or as we can stand in the presence of God, we have a direct access to our Father who's in heaven. We have this position that now we find ourselves that's been given to us. And the verbiage here all says it's a secure standing into the future. It's not based on anything that we've done and we have to continue to do. It's based on everything that God has done and He continues to do for us in our life. That's why it's a secure blessing that we can rely on. I don't know about you, but I I like blessings that keep on blessing, right? That's the beauty of it. That's what joy is. It's not like, you know, throwing a firecracker out and watching it explode and then saying, oh, that was great. Now what? Right? When we go to a fireworks show, we don't like it when they shoot off, you know, a big boom and they're like, all right, that's it. Right? We like it when they keep going off, right? It's just one explosion after another, unless you, you know, have, you don't like all the loud noises. For me, it's like the louder, the better. Right? I, I love it. I love the big bangs when they go off. I don't know why. I just do. Uh, my wife loves it when it's all the multiple colors off at once, right? The bigger, the better, it seems to be. But that's our secure blessing because of the position that God has given us because of his work that continues to bless us. That peace that we have been given because Jesus has made peace with the wrath of God because of his work on the cross for us. That's why it's filled with grace. We have grace. Now we get into this idea where he says, he says, but not only that, we can rejoice in our suffering. Now when was the last time you said, Yes, I get to rejoice in my suffering. Woohoo! I'm excited. But that's because we look at suffering wrong many times in our life. And that's, that's Paul's point, and that's God's point here, is we've been given this secure position, and because of that secure position, we look at life differently. And he's saying this basically, rejoicing in suffering has nothing to do with happiness, because happiness comes and goes. Happiness is when I wake up and I see all my animals right where they should be, rather than waking up and finding out that my cows are eating my wife's flowers, right? It's like, oops. <laughs> um, happiness is, is when I go out and, you know, a good barbecue, and then we get to sit down and enjoy it, right? No, it, happiness, it, it kind of comes and goes. After I've made, you know, when I've barbecued for the last, you know, couple of days, and then my kids are like, that was wonderful. Now what are you doing? It's like, well, just enjoy what I did. No, what's next, right? But that's not the reality. But realizing that there's something of a greater value. The position that God has put us in far outweighs anything that we live in our life. And that's what Paul's main point is. You know, what's interesting is here in verse 3, it says... Not only that, it's like, have you ever gotten a signing bonus? Have you ever done something? My, my son this week was like, hey, did you realize because I referred somebody, I get, a, I get a bonus because I referred somebody. I was like, that's really cool. Right now, uh, all the football stuff is starting to ramp up. They got all their new draftees, got all these restricted you know, free agents that come in. And a lot of times... You know, football teams will say, hey, if you come sign with us, I'll give you another extra 20000 right? 
There's some guys that have received millions for just saying that they're willing to sign a contract with a team. And it wasn't, that's not their salary, that's just a signing bonus. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. It's not only that you have a position, but not only that, but now we can also do something that no one else can do. And that is we can rejoice in our suffering. That's crazy. You ever watch those infomercials? You know, the Ginsu knives? You know, it's, now, but wait, there's more, right? That's what Paul is saying. But wait, there's more. Let me tell you about this. We have blessing because of being declared right in God's eyes, being accredited, his righteousness being accredited to our life, and our sin was laid on his life. And now because he died and rose again and conquered death and he paid for our sins, making peace with God, we no longer under the wrath of God, but we have this peace, we have this new position being declared right in God's eyes. We have a new outlook in life. And that's what Paul is declaring here when he says this, is we can rejoice in our present trials. Present trials and some translations say trials, some say suffering, some say tribulation, whatever that is. The whole idea is, is being under various kinds of pressure, being under various types of affliction or distress. And there's a very real question that we should be asking as we look at these verses. Like, we have this blessing that we can rejoice under suffering. It's like, well, how? And that's the very real question that we all must face is this. If I am in such a wonderful relationship with God, and if God is not, no longer my enemy, why do I have problems and trials in my life? Right? And Paul is answering this question. You know, the idea here is exactly what Rob is about ready to go under. The idea for trials, suffering, and tribulation is this. It's to squeeze or to crush in order to compress something, to produce something. In fact, they used this word many times when they talked about squeezing grapes to make juice and wine, right? They didn't just sit there and say, ooh, this grape is, is nice, and they just go like this and just kind of squeeze it nice and gentle. Let's not bruise the grape, right? That's not what this is talking about. They were talking about squishing, squeezing, stomping in order to produce something. And that's exactly what this word for tribulations or for suffering, that's the whole idea. And he says here, knowing something, right? In verse 3, look, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces something. Coming out of this new position that we have in our relationship with God, he's saying, now that you have this new position we have this knowledge, this idea of knowing that it produces something. It signifies a clear perception of a true fact. It means that you're fully aware of something. Have you ever talked to somebody about something and said, "Hey, you know, do you want, you know, do you know what? Uh, do you want to do this?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I'm like, "Oh, do you know how to do that?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah, I know how to do it." I, and you're like, you're just not quite sure that they understand what you're asking them to do. You ever been there? 
right? If you've worked on a farm, that, that happens. <laughs> you've been, and if you do, you're like, they're all excited, right? And you watch them, and all of a sudden you realize as they, you know, fall flat on their face and muck and mire, or something doesn't work out right, and they're looking with this blank look on their face, and, face, and they're like, and you realize they said they knew something, but they really didn't fully understand it. They weren't fully aware of what they were getting into. Have you ever said yes to something, not knowing what was going to happen? But that's the difference here is, as Paul is saying, not only this, but we rejoice ourselves knowing something where we're fully aware of something new because of what God has done for us. We're fully aware. It's indicating that it's an intuitive understanding of knowledge. It's an intuitive knowledge. It's a full understanding knowledge. See, this is what Paul is not saying. See, we're not merely expected to enjoy pain. He's not saying, hey, you're a Christian now. Just grin and bear it. Right? That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying, we don't merely pretend that we're happy. Hey, you're a Christian now. Go out and just, you know, deal with it and smile, right? I'll never forget when the I was into baseball, I was into sports, and it was my life for a while. And I remember, though, you know, I, I really had a love for the Lord. And, and I talked about the Lord all the time because I just, it just was a natural part of me. And all the players on my team called me Preacher Boy. And that was my nickname. I was Preacher Boy. And when I broke my leg in five places, as I was coming off the field, I could hear them saying, watch, Preacher Boy is going to be smiling. He always smiles. Right, and and it was like the idea, but the idea was it's like we knew that your smile is genuine. You just it doesn't matter. We knew you were in pain. We knew that you weren't happy, but we just knew that you were different. But what Paul is not saying is that just just smile and fake it because you're a Christian. You you have to smile and fake it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is is that there's an awareness because of what Christ has done for you, what God has done for you, this new position in life. He said there's this new awareness that suffering is going to do something of supreme value. There's something at the end that's far greater than what you see in the beginning. It's like stomping on the grapes. They knew that when they did that, that was going to produce something in the end that was far greater than just the grape itself. That's how it was used in Hebrew times, in the, in the Jewish time. And, you know, by the way, what Paul is saying here is this, this is also something that you didn't choose. <laughs> how many of you would say, I, I choose my suffering and trials? We would like to, right? Yeah, I, we would... We would pick something, you know, really, really, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to suffer through a class, you know, eating barbecue. Right, Chris? That was, so, that was suffering. Actually, it was. Stop talking about the barbecue. I want to eat it. <laughs> but, yeah, we would choose a different trial, wouldn't we? The word produces, by the way, here says we know, we're fully aware that it's going to produce something. It produces means 
to work something fully out. Let me put it in a different way. When you put pressure on something and squeeze it, what's on the inside is going to come out. When a believer goes through tribulation, a trial or suffering of various kinds in his life, he knows the thing, the, you know, the tribulation, the thing will squeeze out of him something that is desperately needed. It's not like, oh, you're going to sit there and go, okay, I'm going to go through this trial. I know it's going to squeeze. I know I'm fully aware it's going to produce something, and I'm going to worry about what it produces. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's going to produce something that we desperately need. Not always something we want. This is the real purpose behind what Paul, this point here that Paul is saying that we get to rejoice in our present trials because we know that it's going to produce something that we desperately need. There's a real purpose. They're not just, it's not just uh, any old thing that happens that comes along lately. It's not just by accident, but it's to develop something. And look what the text says, is that it will produce endurance And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame or disappoint. The idea here is is that this trial and this suffering that we're fully aware of that's going to produce a character quality that we desperately need. It's going to be constructive in our life. And And he builds on, there's a stair step of what it's doing in our life, and it shows us, that as we go through the trial or suffering, there's these different aspects, and as we go through it, it produces something very valuable. And the first one is, is because trials bring about perseverance. The Greek word for perseverance is a compound word. It's two words put together, and it means to be under and to remain, or To put it back in English form is to remain under. It's to remain under pressure for the right amount of time. Perseverance is the act of holding up under pressure. You know, when they go through making knives, is as they go through a process of heating and refining it and and hammering it out and, and pushing and molding that steel harder and harder and pushing and pushing and pushing it and then putting it in and quenching it into water, and then they heat it up again sometimes and pound it some more, and they go through that process of quenching it to harden it so that way when you hit it or use it, that the edge will remain under pressure. And they even test knives to see how much pressure that you can put on it before it'll break. The hardness value of the steel when we go through suffering and trials, God is producing perseverance or to help us to remain under. Which is, which I learned an illustration that I, I never knew before. I was like, you know, lift, I've lifted weights for a lot of years. I'm like, how do these guys get to the point where they lift such large amount of weight? I mean, I mean I'm thinking about your ankles or your ankles, your joints and your ligaments. And how does your body bear up under that pressure. And I learned, lifting weights long enough with Donald, you begin to learn a few things or two. And I learned that we went through this process and there was this guy that's quite a bit older than me, I won't tell you his age, and he, he like almost lifts double what I lift. 
And it's crazy. And if you looked at him, you wouldn't even think that he lifts weights at all. He just looks like a normal person. But he's, you know, close to 70 or in his 70. I don't know, but he puts me to shame. But he lifts in weights, and all of a sudden, they're putting weight after weight after weight. I'm like, there's no way he's lifting that. And Donald says, oh, he doesn't have to lift it. He just has to bear up under it. He says, we're training his ligaments and his joints to feel the pressure to strengthen them so that way he'll be able to lift more and not tear anything. What? But that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we know that the suffering is going to produce this ability to continue to bear up under pressure. God puts trials and things in our life so that way we learn to be able to bear up or to hold up and not fold under pressure just the way a weightlifter does. If you run from your suffering like the world does and you try to, you try to ignore your suffering in the trials and you don't do it, you're never going to be able to hold up to the pressures. And Paul's saying, we have a new position. We have a new relationship with God. And now he's doing something that we can never do for ourselves, And we can rejoice knowing that he's doing something that is far valuable, more valuable in the end. And that he's helping us to bear up under pressure. If, if perseverance is one that refers to patiently waiting and and allowing that pressure to put in our life, this character trait of patiently waiting on God is a major mark of godliness. James puts it this way in verse 12 of James 1, about perseverance, he says, perseveres under trials will ultimately receive a special reward from God. Right? Solomon said this in Proverbs 17, he says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Right? And that's what he's doing. Because perseverance not only brings about, um, or because trials bring about perseverance, but because perseverance then brings about proven character. Proven character. The word character in your text is not just a, you know, a character. I call my kids characters because they do silly things. And the newest one is, you know, swimming in the, in the cattle troughs. They think that's the new fun thing. When it's 80 degrees, you'll find my twins in the cattle trough, you know. And that's like, did you fill the trough back up after you left? You know, those poor cattle have to, I said, no sunscreen either. <laughs> and now Jade's all sunburned. <laughs> so, but, you know, we have to bear up under that pressure. And it, this is not character, not being a character. It's proven character. It means to approve from a test. It means that you've had a test in your life and you've been proven. The etymology of this word in, in, under the a theological uh, book that has studied where, how these words have come about and how it affects Scripture under that theological text, it says this, it says, the idea of proven character is enduring something that amounts to a test that promotes and validates the character of the one undergoing it. It's, 
When you, when you bear up under the trials, you, it produces perseverance. And when you hold up under perseverance, it then produces a proven godly character. We know that. That's what God is doing. We're fully aware that this is what God's doing. Not only that, but because when we're under going through these suffering, these trials, we're fully aware that God is producing something. And it's because proven character brings about hope. Now, you remember, there's two types of hope. Natural hope, and then there's spiritual, biblical hope. Benjamin Franklin said this about natural hope. One of our guys that helped out in the formation of our country, he said this, he says, about natural hope, he says, he that lives upon hope will die fasting. You know what fasting is, right? Cutting out foods. You know, to persevere under that pressure of living without food. He says you'll, basically, he said you'll do that long enough and you'll die. That's what living under natural hope, or I hope that this will happen, right? Another guy, which he, he, this guy's a Muslim agnostic philosopher. Boy, this guy is crazy. Uh, I was reading through some of his stuff and I was like, man, he was so contradicting himself. I couldn't believe it. But Omar um, Kazim He said this, he said about natural hope is like snow in the desert. It just doesn't happen. Although I was in Jerusalem one time when it was 70 degrees and the next day it snowed. And then the next day it was 70 again. So (laughs) it was a really weird thing. And another uh, writer, I couldn't find where this came from, but he says hope is a quivering nervous creature trying to be bright and cheerful, but alas, Frequently sick, abed with nervous prostration and heart failure. That's natural hope. This is how God defines hope in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. He says, hope is an anchor for our soul. Biblical hope is drastically different. Thomas Books says this, a man of biblical hope will be full of action. When God, when God has taken us through suffering, through perseverance, through pro- which proves our character, and when it proves our character, it gives us a hope that makes us ready for action. We're filled with strength from the Lord to be ready for any action. Biblical hope is unique because it's a confident trust in God and what He is doing in the world for our our very life. It's something that everyone needs. It's a hope that is, can be counted on. The biblical word for hope is a trusting hope. It's a, it's a full knowledge hope. The writer of Hebrews continues to clarify in Hebrews 10.23, stating the importance of hope when he wrote this. He said, God says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Remember in James 1, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, who there is no variation or change. He doesn't shift like a shadow. He doesn't change. He remains faithful to every promise he has ever made. When a person patiently, I can't say person and patient at the same time. My, I need to go back to etiquette school and work on my P's. (laughs) 
but a person patiently waits on God during trials is actually developing a depth level of maturity that's based on hope in God. It's a deep maturity, a deep hope, and a deep relationship with the Lord. Here's why this is so important, because hope does not bring about disappointments. God is faithful. When we trust in God, in the end, there are no disappointments. Oh, I, I, have you ever hoped in something and then come back and said, oh, that wasn't really what I expected. I'm disappointed. In verse 4, when it talks, at, uh, or in verse 5, when he says, and hope does not put us to shame. In the ESV, it means to bring about disappointment. Trials and circumstances in your life will try everything it can to zap hope from believers. But when that believer patiently endures and lets God produce what he wants to produce... We can rejoice because we are not looking at the circumstance, but looking at the end when we patiently wait and endure and hopes in God, that hope will never disappoint. It will never bring shame to our life. Have you ever hoped in something and then found out it was a a shameful thing? A desire that you had? You desired something so strong you thought it would bring fulfillment to your life? And in the end, it brought about a shameful thing. The good hope of grace, the hope of God's chosen people, that the God's hope that he's given to those that he saves is a hope that will never deceive. It is a blessing of sure hope. Proverbs 10.28 says, The hope of the righteousness shall be gladness, but the expectation or the desires of the wicked shall perish. Proverbs 11.7 says this, when a wicked man dies, his expectation, it's the same Hebrew word also for hope, by the way, expectation, his expectation will perish, and the hope of a strong man perishes, comes to nothing. But God's, but our hope in God flourishes. It remains there. When the, when the winds come, when the heat of the day comes, have you guys seen your flowers after that, that Monday heat wave last week? I don't know what it was like. I was in bed. <laughs> I was in bed with a fan on. It's like, you, you guys were all, if, I know a lot of you were complaining about the heat, but I was freezing. I, was, I had a fever. I don't, it was like 80 degrees outside, and I was chilly. I couldn't get hot enough. It was weird. You know, I didn't enjoy it at all. But you know, during that heat wave, I looked outside the window, and I said, boys, you better be watering mom's flowers. You could already see. They, were just, they went from here to... <laughs> when the pressure, when the heat comes, we don't wilt. Now, the reason why. Why? Why is this true? Why can we trust this? 
Look what it says in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because, because, this is a great because. This tells us why. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, the reason why we will never be disappointed is because we are loved eternally by God at a very unusual level. This is not like a, at a level that you would realize or just normally think about. This is a pouring out like no other. And this is why we're blessed. It's because we have the ability to rest in our troubles. The rest of the world, when they're under trouble and other, under duress and under great pressure, they do not have the because. If, if life is, to be, is difficult and there is to be trouble in our life, then how can I rejoice? And how can I rest? That's a great question. The answer lies in this verse, in the because. Paul tells us that the love of God, like a vast, never-ending river, is consistently being poured out in the hearts by the Holy Spirit. When we are saved, God places His Spirit into us. The Holy Spirit is like a conduit through which streams of vast quantities of God's great love is being poured into your heart. It's not like he went, oh, I love you. Let me, I, I know you're under a lot of heat and pressure. Let me, let me just sprinkle you, right? It's like my kids, you know, I, I watch them. And they go, oh, yeah, I watered the plants. <laughs> and the plants are just going, Ugh. I'm like, no, no, no. They need a pouring of water. They're parched. They're dry. They're wilting. They're, they're being crushed under the pressure of the sun. But God has poured out his love. I like that where it says he has given it to us. In verse 5, he says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That means he is given based on the decision of God's will and not on our merit has been given. That verb declares that this was something that he did by his will when he declared us right and it's not based on something that we did for him. As we go through this life, there will be many, many difficult days. However, as we face all the things that will come our way, he has always has... He always has the precious Holy Spirit being poured out with his love in our life to guide us, to teach us, to consistently remind us of all of his sustaining work. He makes the trip bearable. If you've taken a long road trip, you know what I mean, right? Have you ever been on a long road trip only to have the AC go out? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've kind of lived that way for the last four years with ours. 
It's like we go to California, it's 100 degrees, roll down the windows, you know, freeze a rag, put it in the ice chest, pull it out, put it in the window, <laughs> spray, we, you know, get spray water, spray. We've done everything we can to try to make it bearable. It is not bearable when the air conditioner goes out and it's 100 plus degrees outside. <laughs> but being submerged in God's sustaining work makes everything bearable. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4 says, you, talking about God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. G. Campbell Morgan a great theologian, pastor, he said this. Listen to these words. He says, The secret of this victorious hope is that the love of God has been continually poured out into our hearts. Here the idea is not merely that God loves us, though that is extremely true and evident. It is rather that He fills us with His love by the Spirit so that we love what he loves, and, he, and as he loves, we love. That self-emptying, sacrificial love becomes the inspiration for all our thinking, all our doing. And it is more than that. It is the power of which all of our service is powered. It is not only the patient love which endures, it's the mighty love which accomplishes. It is the secret of the abounding toil which never tires until its object is achieved. Where there is such love feeling and mastering the life, hope is never put to shame in the process of suffering. As we look at the Christian life, suffering often is illustrated as a picture of a tea bag, right? Right? A tea bag is nice, but nothing really happens with a tea bag until you put it in hot water. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you like to be in hot water or not. But under hot water flows out the juices of the tea bag from the tea. Right? The next picture of suffering, I think, has to do. A lot, it, it reminds me a lot of ladies. The rose petal. When I was in Egypt backpacking, I got to hang out with a guy who showed me how they made perfume. And it was crazy. They took all these flowers and they were sitting there with these rose petals and they started just smashing the snot out of these things. But as they smashed it, it didn't take very long. And as they smashed and beat the snot out of these rose petals, not Rosa, but they, they be, she's like, they're laughing. But all of a sudden, this fragrance just overwhelmed the shop. It was amazing. From that, he crushed and crushed more and more flowers, and he gave me a vial of perfume. And we still have that vial of perfume. It's in a little keepsake box in my, in my house. There's one that was, they, they made and said, this is for guys, and they're, one that was made and said, this is for girls. Kind of smells like, a, I think Anissa can wear it now because it smells a lot like gardenias. 
<laughs> it's a joke, because grandmas smell a lot like gardenias. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's another one. Suffering is a lot like a lump of coal. This is for men, right? A lump of coal. Women, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's a lot of, of times that they say suffering is like a lump of coal, but that coal buried under an immense amount of pressure down into the heat of the core of the earth, under that immense heat and pressure over time, produces one of the most amazing things possible, a diamond, one of the hardest known substance on earth. But it has to go through something. I don't know what's going on in your life, but do you not realize because of being declared right by God, we have this secure blessing that in suffering, we know what God is trying to do rather than worrying about the circumstance. We know that, that the perseverance that God wants us to have will produce our proven, tested character. And that proven, tested character is going to produce a hope that's not like anything else that we know is sure. And because of that sure hope, we know that we're never going to be disappointed. That in the end, it's going to be like a great hard diamond that's going to be incredibly useful. We know that something valuable God wants to produce for his glory. You ever think about that? If God wants you to glorify him, then nothing that's going on in your life is by chance. Because ultimately his desire is for you to glorify him. As we close, remember this, that your suffering, your trials have a purpose. They have a godly purpose. They have a great purpose. One's response to tribulations demonstrate where we put our faith. When we're under stress and under trials, our response determines really what we're going to trust in, where our faith is. The other thing is, is that the temporary trials that we find ourselves, which are they're very temporal, they're not lasting. God's work in our life is forever. The circumstance that you find yourself in right now is temporary. These temporal sufferings produce inestimable and this huge amount of eternal glory. The beautiful thing is, is that, guess what? We can know for sure that God will address everything that we are going through, that he will address the tribulations that you have endured for the purpose of his glory, for his name to fulfill his word, that his will and his purpose will be fulfilled no matter what. Did you know Jesus... As he was leaving his disciples, he wanted to remind them of this very fact. He said that Jesus declared this very important fact about God's spirit. He says this in John 16, 33. He said, and I'm going to quit with this. 
Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's your position in Christ. That's the question. What are you putting your faith in right now? The blessing, the secure blessing that we have is that we can rejoice no matter what because of what Christ has done for us. We know that the end result far outweighs anything we'll ever experience. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for what it really means to us, what it provides for us. I pray, Lord, that no matter what we are going through right now, all of us have many different things that we would realize that the end far outweighs this temporal circumstances, that we can trust you, that we will not be put to shame, that the ultimate goal is for you to be glorified. So, Lord, I pray that we would not run from suffering, not run from trials, that we wouldn't try to cover them up. We wouldn't try to do everything just to make our life happy, to pursue life and happiness, but that we would pursue you, remaining in you, keeping our mind on you, walking with you, Lord, being planted in you, being in you, that we rejoice in the love that you continue to pour out because we are planted by a stream of living water, your love which being poured out into our hearts, nourishing, fulfilling, sustaining us for eternity, never-ending love. That's not a love that the world knows or seeks, but it's an enduring, sacrificial love that you have given us when you died on the cross for our sins. May that be our focus and our joy no matter what we face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.